0: For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. Well, if you were here last week, you saw the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 do something totally scandalous. First of all, he went into the home of some (gasps) non-Jews. And then he told a whole room full of non-Jews. About Jesus. <gasps> and then get this. When everybody in the room believed in Jesus, he baptized every one of them, said, Welcome to the church, and then spent the weekend there. <gasps> no! Well, news of this, this bender, this rum springer. <laughs> Spreads like wildfire to the conservative Jews down near Jerusalem. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, he's got some explaining to do. Acts chapter 11, 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Oh. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Yes, the circumcised believers. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? But then he goes on to explain why everything he did was exactly what God wanted. Why he is fully convinced of that. And that's what we have in Acts chapter 11. We have Peter recounting why he thinks what, happens in, what happened in Acts chapter 10 was right in line with the will of God. And this is one of the unique things about Christianity, is we have a God who has a will. It's kind of unique when it comes to world religions, and yet we see right all throughout the pages of Scripture there are certain things God wants to happen. Furthermore, God, his will, his will is not something he's trying to hide from us. I mean, there's things he doesn't reveal, but there's a lot that he does. And he reveals his will to humans, And he doesn't just have a general will things he'd like to see happen, things he's doing, but also he has a will for how you can be involved in what he's doing, in this rescue plan to save the world from sin and death. And he doesn't force his will on us either. He gives you a choice, a choice as to whether you want to follow his will or to reject his will or just to ignore it, which is really the same as rejecting it. And this is interesting because this is relevant for us. I'd be willing to bet that there are people here in this room tonight who are wrestling with what is God's will in one or multiple different areas of their life, maybe some pretty important areas. Maybe some of us have it all figured out, and if that's the case, then congratulations. But I bet you there's a lot of people here that are trying to to sense and discern God's will. And so... You should pay attention because we're going to read through Acts chapter 11, and as we read, we're going to read through it relatively quickly, and we're going to point out some various things that Peter points to that lead him to believe that he was following God's will the whole way. And we're going to see multiple signposts converging into a clear picture. And then, then after we get done reading the story, we're going to talk some about how this, this is relevant for our lives. So Peter says in Acts chapter 11, verse 4, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. Well, that's a pretty good starting point if you want to know the will of God. Prayer. This is where we stop and listen to what God might be saying, where we, we ask God questions about his will for our lives. God wants a relationship. Psalm 62, 1 says, my soul waits in silence for god and so this is where we we quiet down we listen to god we ask him questions we allow god to guide our questions we talk with god about recent developments and the thing we've been praying for his will and Sometimes it can take months or years to really get clarity about God's will. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to stay tuned in, to watch, to talk with him about further things you see unfolding. He wants to teach you some things as he unfolds his will in your life. He wants to teach you wisdom. And that's what Peter's doing. He's looking for a chance. He, he ducks up to the rooftop at noontime, this kind of private, private room, to pray Peter says, in a trance, I saw a vision. Something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by four corners, and it came down to where I was. Well, we talked about all this last week, but notice the parts that he's recounting. He says, I saw a vision. So here's another way that God sometimes reveals his will. Visions and dreams. Remember what Peter said back in Acts 2? He said, the prophet Joel predicted that in these latter days, when God's spirit is alive in a new way through, through his church, that he says, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. This is, this is a, a pretty direct, obvious, blatant way that God sometimes speaks to his people. You know, you do see this in scripture. It's, it's pretty unusual. It doesn't seem to happen that often. Um, it seems like times when it's really important. Maybe somebody's life is on the line, or time is of the essence, or God is doing something really big, like here with Peter and Cornelius. God will deliver a vision. Uh, Even sometimes, these visions, they can be kind of hard to interpret. It's hard to know what they mean. And uh, I would say if you get one of these, well, that's pretty cool. You should pay attention to that. Peter says, I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure unclean has ever entered my mouth. He's, he's recounting his reluctance to get on board with the vision that he got. The voice spoke from heaven a second time Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. He recorded the rebuke he got from the Lord. And he also says this had to happen three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. <clears throat> Well, then he says, right then, three men who'd been sent to me from Caesarea stopped in the house where I was staying. And so we see another way that God is revealing his will to Peter. He's got it. He's, he's doing it through prayer. He's doing it through a vision. And then we see this divine appointment. This is where God takes person A and he takes person B and he gets them to cross paths right at the same time. And some people might feel like, well, this was just a coincidence. These guys just happened to show up at this time. But the spiritually sensitive person will look a little deeper and say, maybe God is doing something here. And then he says, and then the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. And so this is a little different from that vision that he got. This is what we would call inner spiritual prompting. Inner spiritual prompting. You know, it's it's maybe a voice that Peter heard, but. I know when I, when I get these, it's more of like an impression. It's almost like God is writing thoughts to my brain, and I, I know those are not from me. I know those are coming from Him. And so as we mature in the Lord, we, we learn to recognize these. We learn to listen for these. We come to, to rely on these. We, we look for the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, and He will guide us in, in various ways in our lives. And again... We, I'm going to point out none of these are definitive necessarily in and of themselves. And we can be deceived pretty easily. We can miss miss God's signs that he's sending to us because we're, we're stubborn and we see what we want to see. And yet this can be a powerful way of knowing God's will. Peter says, these six brothers also went with me. So he brought six guys with him and they had come back to Jerusalem to verify his story. And we entered the man's house. This man, Cornelius, told us how he'd seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter, he'll bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Well, we see another point here, don't we? Peter got a vision that some guys are going to send for him, he should go with them. Meanwhile, Cornelius got an angel that gave him some instructions as well and told him to go talk to Peter. Didn't we see this with Paul and Ananias in Acts 9 as well? what do we see here? This is what we call correlated leading. This is where two people, two Christians, or in this case, Cornelius doesn't even look like he was a Christian, but where two people will be thinking this something, they'll both be coming to the same conclusions, and then they'll go to talk about it, and they'll be surprised the other one was having the same thoughts. You'll see this sometime in the home church leadership teams, for example, when a couple of different leaders will key in on one issue all at the same time. Or a few different people will, have, will, will feel led to do this thing. And uh, they'll all start talking about it, and they'll realize God's been kind of speaking to each one of us about this. And you might even have each person provides different relevant information that help to pull off whatever, whatever move God is calling on you guys to make. And so we see God leading Cornelius. We see God leading Peter, and they're meeting in the middle here at Cornelius' house. Peter preached this sermon. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as he had on us, at the beginning. Remember what happened in Acts 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on all the Jewish believers there? This happens for the Gentiles as well. We see pretty obvious spiritual fruit being born. We see God's Spirit getting behind this move that Peter made. If this is not something we should be going along with, then why did God give them the Holy Spirit? And this is something where you can look—you look at you look at a move, or look at something you're doing, and if you see God's Spirit is behind this, actual objective fruit seems to be born here. I would keep trying to do more of that. I would take that as a sign that this is from the Lord. Now, it's possible to have pseudo fruit that kind of looks like fruit but fades away. And that's why it might help to get some get some opinions from others, other mature believers, but. You know, it's, it's, it's not every day that God puts his spirit behind something. And when he does, I would be reluctant to mess with that. I would keep trying to get more and more behind what he's doing. And, you know, in other words, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So Peter says, I, I really think God was in this because of the, the spiritual fruit that it bore immediately. And obviously, God was affirming this. And he says, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What is he quoting there? The words of, of, of Jesus that he told the apostles. Je- Peter was there for this statement. We weren't there for the statements of Jesus, but what we do have today is Scripture. We've got Scripture. Any leading God gives us is going to be totally consistent with his Scripture. The person who really wants to know the will of God is going to look to the Scriptures and try to find principles, direct statements. If I'm trying to discern God's will in an area, immediately my mind is indexing through the scriptures that I know, trying to think which scriptures are relevant. I'm asking other wise people who know the word, what do you think is relevant here in this situation? Trying to evaluate, is this from the Lord or is it not? And in fact, there's some areas where we don't even need to ask for guidance from God. We don't need some kind of special vision, because God has already spoken clearly in his word. You know, the believer might be like, oh Lord, send me a sign, should I... Should have set aside time each day to get into your word. Lord, I need a vision. And God says, I already sent you a sign. It's called 1 Peter 2.2. Two. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. What do you think I mean by that? We say, oh, Lord, should I steal? And God says, thou shalt not steal oh God, I'm so depressed, I don't know what to do. I need a a sign. I need a a voice from the heavens. And God says, how about about you look at Acts 20, 35, where it says it's better to give than to receive. Are you trying to give? Are you taking? Are you thinking the more you take, the better you're going to feel? I said, love one another, and then your joy will be made complete. You wonder why you're depressed? Try practicing a lifestyle of love like Jesus lived, like he called on us to live, you might be surprised how that affects your life, affects your emotional life. And so, yeah, there's certain areas where God gives clear guidance, but there's other areas where it's not as clear. There's more complex decisions. But scripture, you know, Peter says, look, this, what happened here, this was right in line with scripture. And later when they're debating this same issue, they're going to quote more scripture from the Old Testament where they start to connect the pieces and see how this was God's plan all along to go to the Gentiles. Peter says, you know, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That's a good question. God has a way he wants to go. And Peter says, we can either get on board with it or we can get in the way of it. And he says, I'd rather get on board with it. Finally, when they heard this, They had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so on top of all the points Peter's already made, we see an additional one added onto here, and that is counsel from other Christians. He lays out the details of what happened to this group of believers in Jerusalem. I don't know how mature they were, who all was there. It does mention the apostles being present there back in in verse 1, as, as those who heard about what happened. And so there were probably some mature believers here. Hard to tell how mature the, un, the uh, circumcision party was. We'll see more from them later. But he, he lays the facts out and he says, What do you guys think? And they're like, Wow, this, looks, this actually looks like the real deal. And so seeking counsel from other Christians, relying on the witness of the body of Christ, the Christian community, can be another important way that we can discern what is God's will. Now, you know, mature Christians is the key here. Some people know exactly how to go to the, the person that's just going to agree with them. You know, Peter didn't seek, seek input just from the Gentile Christians on what they thought about this move to Cornelius. No, he went to some of the, the ones who were probably most likely to offer a different perspective. And they still said, yeah, actually, this looks pretty good. And so we see a, really a number of different factors here converging, and I just want to make a few observations here and talk about how this applies to our lives. One, one thing I, I notice as I look over this chapter is that God doesn't weigh in on every decision in our lives. There were tons of decisions that Peter made that God really didn't have anything to say about. You know, He got no vision of, uh, fr- from the heavens as to what color tunic he should wear that day. Wear the gray one) You know, he had no input from the Lord on how to go from Joppa up to Caesarea by boat or by land. You know, God didn't really care. There's certain things that God seems to care about. You know, in our lives, every day, we make thousands of decisions. I don't know if you realize that. A lot of them are pretty automatic. But if you think about each at each moment, you're making decisions about what you're going to do, where you're going to be. And, you know, for a lot of those, God gives us complete freedom. These are non-moral decisions. What color socks to wear today, what to eat, things like that. But God does have a lot more to say about things in our lives related to this rescue plan that he's carrying out for humanity and the mission that he's given us to be part of that. Yeah, this rescue plan, this is why he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to earth, to live the perfect life, and to die for our sins. And as a result, it says in Ephesians 2, 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Counter to all of religion, all man-made religion, which says you do, and then you get blessed for it. This is the opposite. You just put your trust in Christ because you can't do. You can't do it. He did it, though. You can't take credit for anything. Religion is always prone to boasting, to pride. And he says, you can't take credit for any of it. It's a gift God gives you when you put your trust in Jesus. That's an offer he makes available to you tonight. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of sins as a gift that you can't take credit for. Trusting him. This was the message they were supposed to go to the Gentiles with, that he had to get the crowbar out and pry them out of Jerusalem to go to the Gentiles and to the Samaritans as well. And so this, if you're a Christian, this is God's will for your life, telling people about this. And if you're not a Christian, his will is, first of all, for you to receive Christ before you start thinking about anything else related to God's will. But look what he says then in verse 10. He says, we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so God has good good things planned for you to do related to this rescue plan. And of course, before you're going to even think about doing doing those good things, you need to be created anew first. But after that point, God's will is for you to serve him by carrying his love to other people. That should be the all-consuming passion in your life. We saw that from, from Saul a couple of weeks ago. We see that from these early Christians. And so there's certain decisions in our life that are more directly related to our ability to carry out this plan. Because when we get to the end of our lives, which is our lives are very short. You're going to be there before you know it. You're going to be standing before God after your death. And he's going to ask, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? How did you live for eternity? Not for the world that was perishing, but how did you lay up treasures in heaven in the words of Jesus? And so God is going to evaluate you based on that. So that's the most important thing in our lives. What's interesting, too, is even though we see God chasing down Peter and God initiates in your life, God gives us a role to play as well in seeking his will. Jesus said, whoever seeks will find. But, you know, the roles that he gives us to play, you know, think, one thing I see in Peter here is it really seems like he was predisposed to follow. The will of God. You see this affirmation from Peter numerous times in the in the gospels. He's like, I'll do anything, I'll follow you anywhere. Where else am I to go? Of course, we also see him, he says those things, but was his heart fully in it? His his actions later become apparent that he wasn't completely sold out. But if you go to God and you you go looking for his will, but you're not, you've already decided ahead of time. I'm not going to follow him. Or you're deciding, you're deciding, well, let's see what it is first, and then I'll decide if I'm going to follow. God's just not interested in that kind of a conversation. I don't know if you've ever had a talk with somebody where they seek you out and you spend a while talking through what should I do in this situation, and then you get to the end of the conversation and you realize they had their mind made up the whole time. It doesn't matter what I said. What a waste of time. I never would have had that conversation if I would have known. Well, God's a little different than us. He can see the person's heart. He he knows ahead of time what they've determined in their heart to do. And so he just avoids that talk altogether. And so some people who are really having a hard time seeing the will of God, maybe it's because you have not determined ahead of time that you're going to follow him. And honestly, this is something that we can pray for. You know, in our prayer lives, you know, we see Peter stop to pray, stopping to listen. That's when God showed up. And, and started speaking, it's almost like God was like, I was waiting for you to shut up. I was waiting for you to stop so I could start talking. I was waiting for you to sit and listen to me. And that's what God's saying for some of us. You know, it's almost like he's sitting there on our couch, and we're just zipping through the room, and he's like, I'm, yeah, okay. And then we zip back to him, and he's like, hey, I'm, yeah, all right. And he's like, you know, I can wait until you want to sit down and talk to me. And one thing we can do during these prayer times is we can do what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, Lord, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. He was, he was kind of stealing his will before God and, and working himself over to a place of willingness. And a lot of times we, can't, we think we can't see the will of God, but the truth is, if we, if we spent less time praying, oh God, what am I supposed to do? And more time saying, God, I want to commit to follow your will no matter what. Not my will, but yours be done. What you might find is you already know what you need to do. You just haven't wanted to do it. And I found that in my life time and time again. Another thing I see from Peter here is he took action as God revealed each step. Remember how this whole thing started? He was down. He went up to Lydda to do some ministry there. And that was going pretty good. God was affirming that. That was bearing fruit. And then he got a message from a little further out, 10 miles further in Joppa. And they had some work for him to do. And he's like, that sounds good. He goes out there. God God works through him there. A A lot of spiritual activity is happening. And then... God's like, I want you to go up there next, to Caesarea. And so he's like, okay. So he goes up there, and it's not until he gets there that he sees what God wants from him. And that, following God is that way. Where it feels like we're in a fog, and you got a lamp, right? And you can maybe see right in front of you, but you can't see what lies beyond in the fog. It could be pretty frustrating, actually, that fog. (laughs) Especially when the fog sits there for years. (laughs) But... And there's sometimes times where you can't even see to take a step. And you've got to just wait there. And that's rough. I've been there. kind of am there right now in several things in my life. And God says, look, just take the next step when I show you. And it's as we take these steps that God moves us along into his will. It's an act of trust. And there's sometimes, honestly, where if God showed us if he lifted the fog and showed us what was sitting 100 steps away, we'd freak out. <laughs> we'd be so terrified. But you know, part of it is that, you know, along the way, he draws us close to him as we as we sit in the confusion. And so Peter, he's he's kind of predetermined to follow here. He's he's stopping to pray. He's he's but he's taking action as God reveals the next step in the plan. He's moving. God God will steer a moving ship. He won't start he won't start steering the boat until it gets off the dock. And some of us were just too scared to act. You need to step out and at least take the step that you know, even if it's a step to further investigate. You need to do it. Another thing you see in this passage is all of the different ways that God speaks. We saw a lot of different variety in how God was speaking to Peter. And so I think it it kind of funnels down into several questions we can ask ourselves if we're wanting to figure out God's will for our lives. One is, has God spoken directly? And we saw God doing that in a number of different ways. You know, one way God does that, like we said, is through Scripture. And so maybe we need to learn the Word. Maybe we need to talk to somebody else who might know some Scriptures that are relevant to the situation that we're facing. Sometimes the way God speaks through Scripture is you show up at CT and... The topic just happens to be one that you really needed to hear. And God speaks to you through his word in that way. It's not just a coincidence. This is is God is active in your life. Sometimes God will speak through prayer. And some of us, maybe we need to get more serious about carving out time for prayer in our daily schedules. And I think the earlier in the day you can put this in, the better, because other things are going to be likely to crowd this out. I know it's not possible for some of us. We've got to get up early, and that's fine to do other things. Try to get it in early. Spend time in prayer. And, you know, sometimes through prayer, God might speak through these inner promptings. I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're one, of the, one of the ones that is going to get some sort of a vision or a dream. I haven't had too many of those in my life. Maybe a dream once. I'm still not even sure that it was. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's prayer is where we stop and we listen to God, Okay. And we need to do that. Also, sometimes God might directly speak through circumstances that he's arranging. Maybe it's through that that correlated leading where you and a friend both were having the same thought. Uh, That might be a sign from God that maybe he's leading in this direction. Maybe there's divine appointments that God is arranging. You know, I remember my, my first day of grad school, first year, you know, I'm praying, God, I pray that I could, I could meet somebody in one of these classes who is spiritually interested. And so the first day I go in, and there's, there's an empty seat next to this guy. I plop down. I, start, I strike up a conversation with him. I start trying to talk to him, and I'm just getting deadpan, okay? Now, it was computer science. <laughs> so that's kind of the norm, all right? <laughs> Not a real social bunch. And so, you know, I kind of try, I was like, well, that's, that's frustrating. Next day I go and the same seat's open next to that guy. But then I look, and there's another seat open next to another guy. Plop down there, strike up a conversation with that guy. We end up becoming really good friends. He was a, a Christian who was n- not at all walking with God. He joins our home church, becomes a worker there. We became real close friends. His, his, his wife moved here, the, the girl he was engaged to. They're, they're married now. They've been serving God for many years in this church. It was not a coincidence that I ran into that guy. Next year, first day of grad school, I go out to the, uh, that student involvement fair. We set up a little booth, and I'm trying to talk to people. I'm not really getting anywhere. Just try, I'm just praying, God, is there, is there anybody here who might be interested in spiritual things? We got one contact information. Somebody was interested in coming out to home church. She comes out to home church. Looks like she's having a horrible time the, the whole time. <laughs> We're driving her home. Me and actually my future wife—we were just friends at the time, though—we're driving this girl home, and um, she's like, "That was amazing." <laughs> she's never stopped coming since. Okay, she's brought several people who became Christians. They brought several people. Has as a home church leader who's planted multiple groups in high school and college, and uh, you know, I, I had no way of knowing of the thousands of people that went through the Oval that day. That. That was the one that I was supposed to talk to. And yet, God did. And he kind of arranged things. And so in hindsight, I can say that was God's will. Another question you can ask is this. What do others think? What do other people think? This is where seeking counsel comes into play. Proverbs says, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. It says in Proverbs 12, The way way of a fool is is right in his own eyes, but the wise man seeks counsel. Yeah, and when we go to seek counsel, some people are confused on this. They they think I'm seeking counsel because I'm supposed to try to get somebody else to make this decision for me. That's not the point of seeking counsel. When you seek counsel, you're trying to get, get yourself opened up to other perspectives that you hadn't considered. You're trying to get a full view of the situation because you're trying to make a wise decision. There are wisdom principles at play here. A lot of the decision-making we do is related not to a sign from the heavens, but wisdom. What's the wisest course forward? What's the best chance of success in in alignment with spiritual, scriptural principles? And so this is why we're not just going to go seek counsel from people who are going to tell us what we want to hear. Somebody who doesn't know the situation at all. We want. I want to seek counsel from people that are going to give me a different perspective on things. The fool just accumulates counselors that are going to tell him what he wants to hear. I remember talking to a guy once who was, he was living in our ministry house. I was in there too, and he was like, um, "Yeah, I decided to get engaged this weekend." This girl he was dating, she lived in this other city. She seemed she seemed pretty questionable to me. Of course, he also was pretty questionable. (laughs) But I was like, well, all right. I was like, did you um, did you seek any counsel on that? And he was like, yeah. I was like, who'd you talk to? He's like, well, mainly my girlfriend. (laughs) And I just thought this conversation's over. You just do what you want to do, all right? Look, look if, you're gonna, if you just want to do what you want to do, don't try to pay some, some thin veneer of spirituality over it. Just, just say, I, I just want to do this, okay? We don't need the hypocrisy around here, all right? But I do think it's strange when people are making big decisions, they haven't sought any counsel on it. Yeah, what do other people think? You see Peter getting, getting the approval of the other the other believers there, and a lot of Scripture teaching on this as well. Here's another one. How does it relate to this rescue mission we were talking about there? You know, there's certain decisions that are going to have a huge impact on your ability to do ministry. We'll talk about some of these in a little bit. But, you know, things like who I marry, pursuing different jobs or careers, major purchases, where I live, um, things like that. that There's certain ministry decisions have a big impact and might have consequences for years or possibly even decades to come. And so how closely does this decision relate to the mission God has given me? That's something to consider. And so this is where the question of is it is this thing bearing fruit already? You know, I kind of feel like we need to be creative in our different ministry efforts, but when we try something we need to evaluate it too. What kind of fruit is this bearing? And we really need to think, we need to learn to think strategically. Some of us are super spiritual, and we think it's like, it's like fleshly to think strategically in any way. But what God wants is he, he, wants, he wants us to, to bear fruit, fruit that remains, okay? And so, you know, we can ask, is this thing bearing fruit? Another question, which path is most likely to bear fruit? Sometimes you can't tell what kind of fruit it's going to bear, but you can think, which direction is going to benefit the kingdom of God the most. And so there might be decisions. You know, I think this is where a pros and cons list can be really helpful to really think it through, to seek some counsel out. But how it relates to that, that, that is a good gauge of how important this decision is and how much time I need to spend thinking about it. Finally, what, what about your own gifting and calling? Has God gifted you in certain ways? Have there been signs that God is calling you to a particular ministry, ministry field? You know, is there a, um, if you've got two ministry fields, one super responsive and one is not, our, our philosophy has always been to try to occupy the responsive field as much as possible. Because God has thrown wide open a door for effective service. You see Paul reasoning this way, like he says in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, I'm going to stay at Ephesus longer because God has thrown wide open a door for service. And there's a lot of adversaries. You know, he's not like, I'm going to stay here because, you know, the Holy Spirit is just telling me that. I just got a feeling. No, he's like, look, God's moving here. Things are hot right now and there are threats and I just can't leave yet. And so I need to see this through before I can move on to the next place. And so he had a certain calling. You know, Peter, he was very, very uniquely gifted for this thing that God called him to do there, wasn't he? He was the, the leader of the apostles, the guy with the keys to the kingdom. He was, he was pretty well suited for this thing, this good work that, that God had stored up for him from before the, the foundations of the world. A fourth and final one, if you're not really getting much from these others, this is one we can ask, what do you want to do? Some of us think, well, if I want to do this, then that must not be the will of God, <laughs> because God is bad, and he wants me to be miserable. You know, our own preferences really come in a lot on these, on, you know, things like ministry to pursue, friendships to pursue, areas like marriage, areas like career. You know, these are all areas where, all things being equal, you know, we've got certain preferences in these areas. And I think I always felt like, well, you know, God's going to try to make me marry somebody who's really ugly, who I'm not attracted to. And I, I kind of had these suspicions of him, or God's, he's going to want to make me work a job that I hate. And it's like, why would you think that about God? Is he that sadistic? You know, he, he's kind of he's made you a certain way with certain preferences. And yeah, these preferences need to be channeled. They might need to be corrected in some cases. But at the same time, a lot of times they, they can be pretty legit. And so that's another thing to keep in mind here as is we're trying to figure out the will of God. What should I do in this situation? I want to just spend a little bit of time and application here. What are some decisions where it's especially important to seek God's will? I mentioned these already, but something like taking a job or pursuing a career can have a huge impact on your ability to serve God. Going after a career that's not going to be high-paying enough, that can leave you working super long hours, it can be really destructive to your future family, because you've got to work so many hours just to scrape by and make ends meet. We should try to plan for a career. And I'm talking especially to you guys. I, I hope that we're thinking, in, when, we, when we're thinking about marriage and family someday, if God does give you kids, that we're trying to plan so that mom or at least one parent can stay home with those kids while they're little, when they really need the, the parent there at home. And so that just means we're going to have to make enough money to support a family. There's also, you know, some jobs require tons of travel. Some jobs are super demanding. Frankly, I wouldn't want a job where I was making tons of money either. That could be actually pretty, pretty destructive. As the Proverbs say, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want poverty, otherwise I'll be tempted to steal. I don't want riches because otherwise I might say, God who? Riches can actually be pretty bad for your spiritual life. We got a lot of riches in this country. And so, you know, with, with this sort of thing, you know, in, in my own life, at each step along the way, I just kept telling God, Lord, you know, I'm coming up to a decision point here. I pray you'd show me what to do next. You know, the way I ended up at Ohio State in the first place was actually kind of crazy. I actually had a, I grew up down near Cincinnati. I had a full ride to the University of Cincinnati. And uh, for some reason, I ended up turning that down to come up here to Ohio State I think part of what it was, was um, I was lonely and kind of nerdy. And uh, I took this computer science course and found I had a real knack for it. I really enjoyed it. There was this dude in that class who was super cool and just took this liking to me for some reason. I don't know why. And um, so I found I enjoyed doing that, you know, programming. And this dude was like, hey, I need a roommate for Ohio State. This guy was a party boy. I think he thought if he roomed with me that he would study, (laughs) which was not true. (laughs) But he was like, do you want to be my roommate at Ohio State? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, I'd become a Christian that year, and I was praying that God would guide me. I don't think I realized at the time that was how God was guiding me up here. So, you know, through a kind of a strange series of events, my parents had a friend whose cousin went to Zenos in the, in the adult group and got me out to a college group. Um, but, you know, even, even through college, there were times where I'd freak out. I'd be like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate. Am I even cut out for this? And I would just have to just calm down and ask the Lord, God, I'm just going to trust you. Show me what to do next year. You know, as I was getting down toward graduation, I was like, I kind of maybe want to go to grad school. I kind of maybe want to go and work. And so I took the GRE, and I put out some applications. I didn't get any jobs. I got exactly what I needed to get into grad school. And so I was like, well, I guess that's the way to go. You know, part of the reason I I told God I wanted to go to grad school, I was like, I kind of like teaching. Can you hook me up with some kind of teaching experience here? I got this sweet teaching position where I got paid plus my full tuition and I was a grad student, and they somehow they assigned a grad student to grade all my papers for me. <laughs> I don't know how I got that. But then, you know, I'm getting into grad school, and I'm like, you know, I was thinking about going on to another grad school. I, I wasn't sure what to do. My parents were like, we're cutting you off, okay? <laughs> I was thinking maybe I'd like to teach at a college. But, you know, all the options I pursued there, the door slammed in my face, and I got this one job. Offer And I wasn't making as much as I wanted to, but in hindsight, I'm glad that I wasn't making as much as the rest of my buddies. I got used to living on less. And so at each point along the way, I feel like I asked God, I I tried to do the things I needed to do, and I trusted that he'd lead me in to what I needed to do. At a certain point, after three years of that, he led me to leave my career and come and work for the church. That's what I'm doing now. But every step along the way, I just felt like God is so clearly leading me And it wasn't like I was looking that hard, but I was asking and trying to listen. And so we need to think about this as we're thinking about jobs and careers. A list of pros and cons could be pretty good here. What are the pros and cons regarding the kingdom of God and benefits to to what he's doing here? And then what are the pros and cons with regard to my own personal comfort, my own bank account, my own prestige? And sometimes just thinking through that way can make it clear. Various ministry decisions. I think it's important to to pray through God. When is it time? You know, who should I reach out to here in this class that I'm in, in this job I'm at? There's a lot of options. Um, You know, when is it time to say, okay, you've been coming out to home church for a little while, maybe it's time to think about receiving Christ. You know, if if we're going to enter into a discipleship relationship where I'm meeting with a younger believer to help them grow, that's a big decision. We want to be praying about that. Big purchases, buying a house, buying a car. I see people make really foolish decisions that lock them up financially with tons of debt and really limit their ability to serve God, limit their options, and bring a bunch of stress into their life. Like when getting a house, don't don't go for the the biggest house that the realtor will show you. The bank is going to loan you way more money than you can afford, okay? Okay? They're basing it on two incomes. So consider how is this going to affect my life, all right? And I think seeking some counsel on this is good. Also, where to live its another important decision. Am I going to buy a a place 30 minutes away from where the rest of my friends and my home church is? Or am I going to try to buy something close? That's an important question. And finally, I think this, this question of marriage is a big one on a lot of our minds. I'm sure the majority of us in here are unmarried, and um, it is a big decision. It's hard to overestimate the importance of a marriage decision for your ability to serve God the rest of your life. This is a permanent decision. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be with you. Some people are like, well, I can just get divorced. Okay, that's another permanent decision. And talk to somebody that's been divorced and see the, the, the permanent damage that that has done. You know, when it comes to marriage, I just wanted to share a few a few things that helped me as I was thinking about this. Proverbs 31 is really good. It says, Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. We're at a point in our lives where we probably look the best we're ever going to look, okay? <laughs> also, you know, your your exposure to this person, it's kind of limited compared to the 24-7 sort of arrangement you're going to be heading toward in marriage. What seems really fun and cute... And charming for a couple hours a week. Might seem a little bit annoying 168 hours a week. (laughs) And so we need to try. The fool just looks at the surface, okay? And it's like, well, I'm sure God will support whatever decision I make. The wise person looks past these fleeting, deceptive features. we got to ask, you know, questions like these. What does the rest of the, the, the Christian community say about this person? That's important. I remember being in a dating relationship, being so frustrated. I just felt like people were too critical of this girl I was dating. They were too hard on her. What I had to eventually realize is, this is not just that they're being too hard on her and she's gotten a raw deal and if only people would believe in her. I actually had to realize she's got some problems. And one of the hardest things in dating is to see the other person clearly, is to see the negatives, You know, it's funny because in in marriage, then one of the hard things is to see the positives (laughs) sometimes, especially if if the marriage is struggling. But it's hard to see things clearly. And listening to what the rest of the, the body of Christ is saying about this person can be pretty helpful. Positive gossip or direct praise, that's a really good sign. That was something that I really felt like was true of my wife. There were girls constantly saying, I just feel so loved by you. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. People raving about her, conversations they have with her, etc. And um, that's a really good sign. Looking for close same-sex relationships as well is a really, really good piece of advice because, you know, it's one thing if this person, if this girl can be friends with guys or if this guy is really good friends with girls. Because in all of these cross-sex relationships, there's kind of an underlying excitement that comes. From relating to the opposite sex. But what you need to look for is, how do they do with people where they don't have that underlying romantic motivation? How do they do with people of the same sex? Are they able to love them? How do they do with their roommates? What are the roommates saying about them? What are the people that spend time with them saying about them? That's the sort of thing that we want to be looking for when it comes to selecting a spouse. And finally, this advice right here, you can't marry someone for what you hope they will become. It's not fair to them, It's like, I'll only be happy if they change. That was a a question that was put to me, was like, this this girl that you're dating, because we had broken up after several years, and I was thinking about getting back together with her, but one of my friends was like, look, let's imagine that nothing about her changed. Would you be happy, or would you be disappointed? And I was like, I would be disappointed. Later, when I was dating my wife and thinking about marrying her, I asked myself the same question, and I was like, you know, she's got problems, but I w- I'd be thrilled, even if something about her changed. Because, to be honest, change in your spouse is very slow, okay? If at all. And if you're demanding that they change, it's going to go especially slow. But if we can learn to accept the person and love them for who they are, you know, we still want to see them grow. But if, if my happiness in this relationship depends on them being someone other than they are now, You're introducing something really unfair into the relationship. So, in conclusion, God wants you to know his will for your life. He's not trying to be sneaky or hide it. He's trying to make himself clear to you. Knowing the will of God is a great treasure available to those who really want it. Yes, it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something where we think that's bad and I need to avoid that and God's trying to ruin my life. No, it is totally worth it. When the God of the universe, who is love, reveals his will for your life, it's gotta be good for you. That's what I wanna leave you with. It's totally worth it. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart that I am so thankful I'm so glad for all the times I chose to go along with God's will. There were times where I tried to go off track. I feel like God chased me down and pointed me back in the right direction. I was so stubborn. And God wants you to have that same experience. He wants you to know how awesome it is to follow his will, and he wants you to testify to others about it. Yeah, God, I think a lot of our unwillingness to follow you is uh, we don't believe you're good. Thank you that in your son you've shown us your ultimate commitment to us, your love for us. Thank you, God, for how you've demonstrated that time and time again in my life and the lives of so many people I know. I pray, God, um, for, for people here who need to take that first step of coming into a relationship with you so they can start following the rest of your will for their life. And I pray for us too, Lord, the rest of us who are Christians, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't resist you, that we wouldn't pull the wool over our own eyes to do what we really want to do. But I pray that instead we would seek out your will and that we would follow it gladly and gratefully, trusting that if we trust in you, that you're going you're gonna to give us the, the true desires of our hearts. Amen. This study was recorded at Zenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.